let's pray. God, I thank you for the gift of laughter, and I pray, Lord, today you would help us to look at ourselves and see, Lord, what is funny, and also see what needs to change, that we might become more uh, and more like Jesus. So let us see you and your love today, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I collected in honor of Father's Day some of the funny Father's Day tweets that I saw, at least ones that I could repeat here in church, and I just thought I'd share a couple of them with you here this morning. The apostrophe in Father's Day indicates that this day is meant to celebrate one dad only. My guess is it's Gene down the street. This is from Jim Gaffigan, the comedian. My four-year-old son gave me a handmade card for Father's Day. Maybe for Christmas I'll draw him a picture of some toys. Get your dad what he really wants for Father's Day by turning off the lights when you leave a room. (laughs) A thoughtful way to honor your dad on Father's Day is to post a picture of him on a social media site that he doesn't know how to use. (laughs) For Father's Day, my kids spilled me breakfast in bed. (laughs) Father's Day tip, if you forgot a gift, drop him off at the Home Depot and let him play with the other dads. Every year on Father's Day Eve, a dad climbs down the chimney and sets your thermostat to the perfect temperature. There you go. Man, I love um, talking about dads and, and fatherhood. I think it's, it's a wonderful design by God. But I'm, I'm also very mindful that there's a lot of isolation and loneliness that goes into being a man. And I was reading a very interesting study by a psychologist that spent a number of years and still is in um, therapeutic practice dealing with people. And and he said, early in my practice, he said, I often found um, women who would come and ask, and they often would still would, and said, I don't really understand my husband. Can you help me understand what it's like to be a man? And he said, I kept hearing that same kind of refrain over and over. And he said, I thought it, it maybe is better if I actually studied that a little bit and looked into that and, and tried to help women understand what it's like to be a man. And he said, there, I came up with three things that I think would really help women understand what it's like to be a man. And so I want to share these with you. And the first one is simply this, cut away any of your close friends. So like you don't talk to your close friends anymore. Uh, number two is to sever connection to whatever guides you, whatever your North Star is, and it helps you make decisions. Just sever that connection whatsoever. And then finally is if you could have your self-worth determined by external productivity standards that you can't really meet. Then you start to begin to understand what it feels like for most men to live in the world today. To which a lot of the women replied, you've got to be kidding me. Like, that would be ridiculous. No, who would want to live like that? That sounds very lonely and isolating. And yet this is the world that I think a lot of men find themselves in. And he said, he said, at the beginning of my practice, about one in every 10 people in 1970 that came to me was a man. Today, he said, that has flip-flopped. About nine out of 10 people that I talk to are men dealing with these kind of issues of loneliness and and isolation that are there. And so God has something better. God always has something better. There's something better about following Jesus, and that's what I want to give to you. Whether you're a man or a woman today, the principles I want to give you today, I think, are really uh, just transgender. They really don't depend if you're a man or a woman. I'm speaking today on Father's Day, understanding that there are a lot of men who are dealing with this chronic loneliness and isolation, and I want to speak into that, because I think in the man's heart, There is something that is craving 
something more. There's something in us that is craving something more. And this is why we can rally around movies and they grab a hold of our heart, like Pastor Jet shared last week, you know, Braveheart, you know, Mel Gibson, that screaming freedom, and all the men that rally around that, knowing that it might mean their lives, man, it's okay, I'm laying down, because I'm being called to something greater. And I want to do something significant with my life. And so there's something about that intrinsically in us men. They're like, yes, that's what I want, something greater. And what I want you to know today is that Jesus has something greater for you today. And as I think about what Mel Gibson cried out in that movie, I think about that word freedom. Because that word freedom means different things depending on your age. Freedom when you're little means freedom from. Because <laughs> you can't wait, right, to be free from. I can't wait until I can. <laughs> I don't have to, you know, be told to go to bed anymore. I can go to bed whenever I want to. I don't have to be told what to wear. I can wear whatever I want to. I, I don't have to be told what to eat. I can eat whatever I want to. I don't have to be told to study. I can study if I want to or not study if I don't want to. And, and so that really is what it's like to be a child, freedom from. We can't wait to get freed from our parents and be out from underneath their thumb and, and make decisions on our own. And that's what we think freedom is, casting off all restraint that nobody can tell me what to do. I am the master of my own domain. I get to dictate what I'm going to do. And the only problem with that is, is the older you get, the realize, you realize how poor you are at making decisions. Because <laughs> I look back over my life, and the common denominator of every single bad decision I've ever made is me. <laughs> I was there for every single bad. I talked myself into some really bad decisions. So I am not a really good person when it comes to directing my life. But we think that somehow when I'm freed from everything else, that my life is so much better. Only to find out the things that we thought were going to lead us to freedom, whether that's a someone or a something, all of a sudden it controls us. And we found ourselves the thing that we thought was going to give us freedom has taken away our freedom. So it's not freedom from that is true freedom. It's freedom for. Freedom from says I can cast off all restraint and I can do whatever I want. Freedom for says there's something better for me. And so I'm not going to go down that path. I, I want to intentionally think about my direction and where I'm heading. Because I don't want to get lost in the shuffle of all of life. And so what I want to do today is take the reading that was read just a moment ago and give you some of these principles that I think, again, are for men and for women. They're universal, but I have a feeling that if you're like me, um, these are principles I've tried to live by. I can't say I've done these perfectly all the time, but this is the direction I set myself to. And I hope that you'll grow. As I've grown to love these, I hope that you'll love these too. And the first principle I want to give to you today is that you can't be human and not be in a relationship. We are designed for relationship. This is why I think this pandemic that we've gone through with COVID-19 has been so traumatic for so many people because we've isolated people and, and we found out that we really do need to be around some other people and we start feeling that intrinsically in us. I just want to be around some friends and I want to get around other people. We're designed that way to be in relationship with one another. And the problem, I think, for most guys, we don't have a lot of friendships. 
because we've sort of bought into this myth that, oh, if you're a man, then you really need to be independent. You don't want to be dependent on anybody and have any deep friendships. You just sort of go through life on your own. And I tell you, if you're sitting here today and you're like, yeah, I don't have a lot of friendships, or if the friendships you do have are somebody like Wilson, um, you might be in trouble, all right? This is for you. If your best friend is a volleyball, you might be in trouble. If you're marooned on a desert island, maybe it's good to grab a hold of Wilson and make that your best friend. But if your best friend is a volleyball, or if your best friend is your golf clubs, or your best friend is your tablet, or your best friend is your hammock, or your best friend is your job, you're missing what God has for you. There is something greater in life. This is what God wants. I want to take a look now at 1 Thessalonians. Jump down to verse 8, and I like this. And just listen as you hear these words. Notice the words us and we. So we cared for you. This is Paul writing, but Paul's not doing this in isolation. He's, he's always traveling with a group of people, and so he's got people around him that he's investing in and doing life with. And he says this, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of our God, but our lives as well. And I've always loved this verse because I think this typifies the way that followers of Jesus should live. We're not just about sharing Jesus and, and go home. It's like there's something greater. Let's share our lives together. And this is a great principle. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is a great way to go through life, that you're not just a task for me. I want to do life with you because we're made for relationship. And the truth is, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, the best way for that to happen, discipleship best happens in the context of relationships. I was fortunate to grow up in a family from generation to generation. We've got passionate Jesus followers all through our generation. So I'm fortunate to grow up in, in that regard. But I tell you, I think what has brought me closest to Jesus is being around some other people who have been really close to Jesus. I have learned more from other people who follow Jesus than I have just on my own, reading my Bible by myself. And this is what I mean by discipleship best happens in the context of relationships. Some of the best lessons I've learned in life have been from other people. And I've got some great friends of mine that I love being around because when I'm around them, I just, I want to be more like Jesus when I'm around you. I want to be around more like you because you encourage me to become more like Jesus. And I, I like who I'm becoming the more time I spend with you. And I like the way you challenge me and call me to something greater. Discipleship best happens in the context of really, you can't be human and not be in relationship. Um, you can't be human and not be at work. We are designed from the very beginning, and I love the way Paul wrote this in Ephesians. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. So when God created you, there is a purpose to your life, and as long as there is still a purpose for your life, um, you will still be living. And so regardless of your age, you still have a purpose. We've sort of bought into this you know, great American myth that retirement is the end goal. I can't wait till I can just sit on a chair and watch Netflix all day or lay in a hammock or I can go on a golf course or sit on a beach or whatever your dream of retirement is. And what a waste. That is not God's dream for your life. God has a purpose for your life with every breath that you take. 
one of these old couples that I had a chance to meet a long, long time ago, and we were doing a mission trip, and we were flying out from the West Coast back to the East Coast, and uh, our, we couldn't get a flight out after the mission trip ended, so we had to spend the night. And so I called one of the local Lutheran churches and, and said, hey, is there a possibility we could just sleep at the church? Like, oh, no, we'll put you in our people's homes. And so we, had, we divided everybody up into people's homes. And I got to go to this couple that said, we're going to place you in this home with this couple. Um, they're in their mid-90s, uh, but they're wonderful people. And I'm thinking, oh, man, mid-90s. Um, I'm going to be going to bed at like 6.30. Like, I'm not sure. This is going to be like the greatest night of my life. But I'm like, oh, oh well, that's great and very gracious you know, they offer a home and a bed to sleep in. So, you know, go over there and we eat dinner together and we sit down like, hey, let's go in the living room and let's talk. And I fell in love with this couple, like right, right away. I thought, man, just their energy and their passion for Jesus was contagious. And I thought, man, this is incredible. So tell me about your church. And like, well, we're praying for our church. I'm like, well, what do you mean? It's like, well, our, our church is full of old people. And I thought that very interesting, that that was the word they chose to use when they're in their mid-90s. Like, and we're just, we don't have any young people there, and we're, we uh, just, we know God wants something better for our church, and so we're praying for revival in our church, and we feel this is what God has us to do. And so we've called a group of our friends, and we are growing our little small group of people every Tuesday and Thursday where we gather together, and we pray for our church, for our pastor, for revival, for our community, that our church would be revived, and that we live long enough to see it. And we know our pastor is discouraged because it's just old people and, and he just he doesn't know really what to do. And so we're praying for him and trying to write him encouraging notes that, hey, we can do it and we can see a change happen in our life. And, and we, this is our purpose for our life. I thought, wow, I want to be that passionate when I'm 95 years old if I live to be that long. What a beautiful picture of what God intends us to do, that God calls us to do this great work. Now, the danger when we talk about work is we can segment things because we are very good at segmenting things, and we like to segment, well, am I, am I doing this for God or am I doing this for me? And, and so somehow we try to balance, oh, I really should do more for the church and I should do more for God, but I've got my job over here and I'll try to make time and balance those kind of things. And, and we wrestle with that question, am I doing this for God and for me, which I think is the wrong question. Or really, maybe the better way to say this is the only way to answer that question is with a yes. Am I doing this for God or me? Yes. Because you should be doing it for both. A lot of people have this mentality that if I'm serving God, I'm going to have to be miserable and i got to sacrifice myself. No, God will place a burden on your heart that is a joy. And so whatever that is, if that's being a CASA volunteer, God will give you that desire to help children and to work through some difficult situations, and you'll find joy in that. When you find what you're uniquely wired and gifted for, it brings joy to your heart. And so whatever you do, the Bible says, do it for the glory of God. So if you're a teacher, teach for the glory of God. If you're an engineer, engineer for the glory of God. If you're a first responder, respond first for the glory of God. Do all of those things. Whatever God has gifted you to do, do it. You don't have to segment between what I'm doing for God and what I'm doing for me. I'm doing it all. I'm getting a benefit for this, and the kingdom of God is getting a benefit for this. Look what Paul wrote. Skip down to verse 9. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and our hardship. For we worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel to you. Now, some of you probably know this, but Paul was a tent maker by trade. And that's what he continued to do is he was going around from city to city, establishing churches and evangelizing the world. He would evangelize, and then he'd work and make tents, and he'd sell those tents so he could earn a living, so he didn't have to depend on anybody else. He didn't want to be a burden to anyone. 
and he didn't separate, well, this is the work I'm doing for me, and this is the work I'm doing for God. No, everything he does is for the glory. Night and day, whatever I'm making tents or I'm preaching the gospel, I'm doing it for the glory of God, and this is what God calls us to do. You can't be human and not be in relationship. You can't be a human and not be at work. We're created to do work. And finally, you can't be human and not be dependent. We are wired to be dependent. As I said earlier, I am the common denominator of every single bad decision that I've ever made. You are the common denominator of every single bad decision you've made. And so you are not the best master of yourself. I'm not the best master of myself. Because I know the natural trajectory that I will take off on. I've seen myself make bad decisions. I know I can do them again if I allow myself to do that. And the only way not to do that is to place yourself under other people who know you well, who can speak into your life, who can challenge you. And we all need to do that under Jesus, that we all let our knees bow before Jesus and say, no, gee, I'm not the master of my life, Jesus. I've messed up my life. I need you to be the master of my life. And I need you to put some other people around me so I can be underneath other people so that other people can speak into my life. And that's important regardless of how old you are or how faithful you are, how long you've walked with Jesus. We all need those people. And this is the way God designed it. I'm amazed every once in a while I've done weddings for people, and one of the things I like to do is have the couples pick the Bible passages that they want at their wedding. And instead of just handing them a Bible and here, pick one, um, I'd give them like the top 20 list of here's the top 20 like wedding verses you can pick from. And inevitably, a lot of times they'll go to Ephesians 5 and they'll read that because they're like, oh yeah, we're used to that, or 1 Corinthians 13. Ephesians 5 you might be familiar with, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for and every once in a while, I have a conversation with somebody. It's like, yeah, we really like this passage of Scripture. That's great. But can you skip over the verse that says, wives, submit to your husbands? I don't really like that one very much. <laughs> I said, I'm not really in a position to just take things out of the Bible. That doesn't end well with people who do that. And I don't want to be one of those people. But I'll be happy to sit here and explain what that really means. And when you marry something, marry somebody who is following Jesus with all his heart, soul, and mind, why would you not want somebody, somebody who's giving their life sacrificially for you? And isn't that easy to submit yourself to? Don't you want to follow somebody like that? This is what God designed in, in a marriage, and this is what God is calling men to live for, live in an honorable kind of way that just as Christ laid down his life, so we are too to lay down our lives and, and do that. This is what Paul was writing. Skip down to verse 10. Now, you are my witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. And they weren't perfect. They didn't live perfect lives. But, man, we strove because we live underneath God. And even Paul himself, who evangelized the world, and one of the reasons we're here today is because Paul went out from church to church and established churches among non-Jewish people. But one of the beautiful things about what Paul did is he placed himself under authority, certainly under Jesus, but he also met with the apostles too, and he was sent out by a church. He didn't just go out on his own. He was sent out by a church to go on these missionary journeys. He placed himself under authority, and we all need to place ourselves under authority because if we don't, um, the direction doesn't end up too well. 
unless we think again that freedom is just casting off all restraint and doing whatever you want. Um, let me share with you in Romans, because this is what Paul writes. He said, this is what this looks like if you don't follow Jesus and you just follow your own heart. Here's where this leads. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, no, God, I know better than you. I don't need you to tell me what to do. So God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have been filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Sounds great, doesn't it? Although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do the very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Man, this is the direction that we go left on our own. But man, thanks be to God and his great mercy and his love that he sent Jesus into the world and calls us to be his own, that he changes the directory of our life. So there are two things I want to leave you with today, two gifts that I want every single person in here to have, but particularly men this morning. The first gift I want you to have is, is the gift of grace. And I grew up, and this is no fault of my parents, this is just what I heard. It's so those twisted lies that you're not even sure where you picked up, but you did. I, I spent most of my childhood and even my early adulthood thinking that I had to earn um, people's love. Like, the, the more um, I did, the more I'd be loved. The better grades I got, the more my parents would love me. And they never said that. I just sensed that, and I lived the way. And, and that got, unfortunately, translated to my relationship with God. God, the more I do for you, the more you're going to love me. And unfortunately, it wasn't until years into ministry that God finally got a hold of me through a great friend who helped unpack grace for me. John, that word grace, it's... The root word for grace is gift. It's a gift. You don't earn it or deserve it. God doesn't give it to you because you're lovable. God gives it to you because he is love. And you don't earn it or deserve it. God isn't impressed on what he can get out of you. God just wants to be with you, and he loves you. And maybe that's the one thing you, and particularly men, need to hear this morning. God loves you just the way you are. Sometimes as men, we can put up a real tough exterior and pretend that it really doesn't matter, but we've got these wounds in our heart that we've carried for far too many years. And grace is a key that just unlocks that hurt and pain and sets you free to hear that there's a heavenly father who loves you perfectly and he calls you to be his own. He said, I'm gonna lead you. There's something better I have for you. It's called grace. And some of us need to discover that today. This is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus died. This is why he rose again, that you would be set free, that you would know that you didn't have to earn that from God or you don't deserve it from God. God just gives it to you because God loves you. One author wrote that I, I love. He said, the most fragile element on the face of the earth is the male ego. And I really have found that to be true. Because inside, we've got that wound that has never healed. Grace heals that wound. I want that for you this morning. I also want you to have a friend. Not Wilson. I want you to have a real friend. <laughs> somebody that you know and somebody that knows you. 
somebody that you can go to with whatever is going on in your heart, no matter how dark and, and worrisome that is to you, that you can go at any time, day or night, and say, I just need to bring something to you because I'm wrestling with something and something dark is going on in my life and I need to bring this to you. I need some help. That you've got somebody in your life that you can do that with. I want that for every single person. We've got an epidemic of loneliness and isolation and it's time that we bring that to a conclusion. And so if you're a man here today because it's Father's Day and if something like that is tugging on your heart, I, I've got dreams of what I'd love to see and I'd love to do more as a body of believers to just rally men together, to encourage one another, to challenge one another, to lift one another up so we can become better, we can encourage and mentor one another, generation to generation speaking into one another. Um, and if you'd like to be a part of that, I just want you to simply take this simple step today. You're not having to promise to do anything. Um, all you're doing is just inviting us to have one conversation with you. And it'll be one of the pastors or one of our elders. And you just text men to our 833-440-0137. And we just want to hear from you. Like, what would be helpful? How can we help come alongside of you? And maybe it's, hey, I could use a place where I could just build some relationships and some friendships. Whatever it is, we want to come alongside and do that with you. So take that step today. We don't want anybody living in isolation and loneliness.